And we are continuing to learn the Sechet Rosh Hashanah, coming to you from the Mizrahi Bet Midrash in Melbourne, Australia. And we are at the very bottom of Kafchet Omad Bet. And unfortunately, I left last night a little bit of a cliffhanger, which means we have to just review the Sugya, because Rava said that you do not need Kavana to fulfill mitzvot. In other words, you don't need to have Kavana, but I'm now being Yotze. Abaya challenged him with a case of somebody who sleeps in a sukkah on the night of Shemini Atzeret and would be over Baltosif if you could be over Baltosif without having Kavana, which seems to be the corollary to what, Abai, to what Rava said. And yet, such a person who sleeps in a sukkah on the night of Shemini Atzeret doesn't get punished, implying that he's not transgressing Baltosif because he doesn't have Kavana. So Rava said, and this is where we got to last night, three lines from the bottom, Rava Amalad Sait Loboi Kavana, Rava maintains his position and says, in order to fulfill a mitzvah, you don't need kavana that you are fulfilling the mitzvah. But la avur ba'i kavana. But to transgress, you do need kavana. And the fellow sleeping in the sukkah doesn't have kavana to transgress a mitzvah of Baal Tosif, of not adding to the mitzvah, and therefore he is not punished. And that satisfies the, uh, the questions on Rava. However, and here comes the new stuff, but it relates directly to what we were learning last night. Because we learned a case of sprinkling blood. And Rabbi Yeshua said, if you sprinkle more blood than necessary, that is a transgression of Baal Tosif. And so we say, so, But we have the case of sprinkling blood, according to Rabbi Yeshua, and that's a transgression of Baal Tosif, according to Rabbi Yeshua. boy Kavana. And it doesn't need Kavana. In other words, the Kohen who was doing the sprinkling clearly didn't have Kavana to add extra to the mitzvah. And yet, Rabbi Yeshua says he's transgressing Baltosif. So that is a kasha to the answer that Rava just gave. Ela Amar Rava. So Rava reframes his answer and says, Let's say it, low boy Kavana. He still maintains that in order to fulfill a mitzvah, you don't need Kavana. But la avur bismano low boy Kavana. To transgress a mitzvah at the time that the mitzvah applies, and we discussed that last night, low boy kavana, one doesn't need kavana. And sprinkling the blood, for reasons I won't repeat, is a mitzvah, is at the time that the mitzvah still applies. Shalob is mana, but if you're doing a transgression of Baltoxif, not at the time of the original mitzvah, boy kavana, that does need kavana. And that explains the go back to the sleeping in the sukkah in Shminyat Seret, where the person sleeping in the sukkah didn't have kavana to transgress the mitzvah of Baal Tosif. And, that, and that's why he doesn't get punished, because it was not bizman ha-mitzvah. So, just to, sum, just to conclude, Rava's position that you do need kavana for mitzvah is maintained. And the attack that Abayah brought from the sukkah case is refuted. So now we're ready to go on to another sukkah. And we start at the very bottom of Kafchet Omer Bet. Omer le Rabbi Zeira l'shamei. Rabbi Zeira said to his servant, who was blowing the shofar, Ikaven, have kavana, I have kavana to be motzi me, v'taket li, and blow for me. So Rabbi Zeira instructs his shofar blower to have in mind and have intention that the shofar blower is blowing in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Rabbi Zeira. Alma, so we see Kasavah that he holds Mashmia boy Kavana, that the person blowing needs Kavana, i.e., Kavana, that he's being motzi 
the person listening. And this seems to be a new thing, because up till now we heard that the Meshmiah needs Kavana to blow, and to blow for the sake of the mitzvah. Rabbi Zeira says he needs to have intention that he's doing it to Motzi, to fulfill the obligation of others. Does this stand up? Meitve, we bring a kasha from a Brisa, um, one we've met before. Uh, Brisa or Mishnah. Haya over achare beit hakeneset. Somebody's passing behind a shul. Or shahaya beit osomocha beit hakeneset. Or his house was next to the shul. V'shama kol shofar. And the guy in the house or the back of the shul heard the sound of the shofar. Or kam megillah. Or the sound of the megillah. And we said, in that case, im kivei libo yatzah, v'im lav lo yatzah. If the listener has the intention, then he's fulfilled his obligation. And if he hasn't got that intention, he hasn't fulfilled his obligation. But then we say, But if he does have an intention, what difference does it make? The blower, that's Heich, the other guy, does not have the intention to fulfill it for him. So what we said in the Mishnah, let's say Reuben is in the shawl blowing and Shimon's passing behind the shawl. And we said, if Shimon has intention to be Yotze, when he hears Reuben blowing, he is Yotze. That's what the, I think it's the Mishnah said. But that doesn't make sense according to Rabbi Zeru's permission, per position. Because Reuben, who's blowing the shofar, doesn't have the intention to be Motze the Din for or the Motze the Mitzvah on behalf of Shimon. So how can we say that Shimon is Yotze? And the answer is, Hacha Bishliach Tzibar Askinan. Reuven is not just any old shofar blower. Reuven is the shliach tzibah. And when the shliach tzibah blows, the akule alma. His intention is for everybody. So when Reuven, who we now know as the shliach tzibah, stands up in shawl and blows, he's got the intention to multi anyone who's listening, including Shimon, who's behind the shawl. And that circumstance, Shimon is Yotze, and that's how we can establish this Mishnah according to Rabbi Zeira. Toshma. But let's now bring another proof to see if we can support or not support Rabbi Zera. We have another, this is a Braisa. Nitkavein Shomea, below Nitkavein Mishmia. If the listener had intention, but the blower did not have intention, or the other way around, Nitkavein Mashmia, below Nitkavein Shomea, the listener, sorry, the blower had intention, but the listener did not, lo Yatsa, the listener has not fulfilled his obligation. Until both the blower and the listener have intention. Now, what type of intention is this? Katani mashmia dumya deshamoa. From the very fact that the Mishnah puts, sorry, the Brisa puts them together, we're using a principle that the Gemara often uses to say that since the mashmia and the shamoa have been mentioned together, then the intention of the two that we're talking about is similar. Mashmoa shamoa atzmo. What's the intention of the listener? The intention of the listener is that he, the listener, is listening. And so, af mashmia, mashmia la'atzmo. So the intention of the blower must be parallel. It's the intention that the blower is blowing for himself, just like the listener is listening for himself. So we've, it's, we've, we've proved so far that when we say um, they're only yodzei if the shemoah and the mashmia both have kavana, the kavana of the mashmia is that he, the Mashmiah, is Yotze. He's not thinking of the Shomea. And yet, the Katani, we've learned, we, we said in that Brisa, Lo Yatsa. 
He has not fulfilled his obligation. Now, this is confusing because what we have to understand is when he says lo yatsa, the bit that they're referring to is lo yatsa ad. They've not fulfilled their obligation. The, the listener has not fulfilled his obligation until both the Shomea and the Mashmia have Kavana. That's what they're referring. That's the bit of the Brysa we're referring to. So we said that the Shomea and the Shmia, if they both have Kavana, then the Shomea is Yotze. And yet, what was the Kavana of the Mashmia? The Kavana of the Mashmia was to be Yotze for himself. So how, according to Rabbi Zeira, can the Shomea be Yotze? That's the question. And we say, Tanaihi. Okay, that writer is a refutation of Rabbi Zeira, but it's a Machloket Tanayim. There is another Tanayitic position that Rabbi Zeira can rely on. And so we quote a Brysa that says to Tanya, we've learned in a Brysa, Shomea Shomea La'atzmo, if the listener listens for himself, in other words, has intention to fulfill, Umashmiya Mashmiya Lafidarko. And the Mashmiya, um, he blows in his normal way. And according to Tanakama, the first position we just quoted there, that's okay. That means the Shomea is Yotze. But Omar Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says, we're dealing when the mashmia, when the blower, is the shleach tzibah. And therefore he's got intention to fulfill the mitzvah of everybody. But if the blower is just a stam individual, he's not the shleach tzibah, then the listener is not yotze until they both have kavana, including, presumably, the implication is, the kavana of the blower to fulfill the mitzvah for the listener, which is like the opinion of Rabbi Zeira. So that last little section was to say, all right, the previous brighter knocks out Rabbi Zeira, but Rabbi Zeira stands up because he's got another tana to support his position, that you have to have kavana to fulfill the mitzvah of everyone who is listening, which, by the way, I think is the halacha. We're ready to go on to the next Mishnah. And it's very interesting, just, just this Mishnah, as you'll see, is, is quite uh, narrative-based until the last line, and then all the Gomorrah is on that last line. And it starts by saying, V'haya ka'ashe yarim Moshe yado v'gavar Yisrael v'gomer. Quotes a Pasuk, and the Pasuk says, And it was when Moshe lifted up his hands, the Jews were winning. Okay, a bit of interactivity. What is that referring to? The war against Amalek. So we all know the story. Moshe held up his hands and the Jews win. Moshe, his hands are tired. He puts them down and the Jews don't win. And then the Mishnah asked the question. This is very, very strange, by the way, because this is pure Midrash. And yet it's in the Midrash, Mishnah. But there's a reason why. Do you think that the hands of Moshe make the war or break the war? In other words, is this some, some magic trick that Moshe's hands... Give, make, make, uh, determine who's winning the war. Nope, it's not like that at all. But it teaches you. All the time that the Jews were looking upwards, i.e. the hands raised was like a, a, a cue for the Jews to look in that direction. And when they were looking upwards, they would enslave their hearts to their father in heaven. Then Hayumit Gabrim, then they would win. And if they didn't win, if they didn't have that intention to enslave their hearts to heaven, they would be falling. So the hands of Moshe don't do magic. They just encourage the Bnei Israel to have the proper dedication to Shemayim, and that's what makes them win the war. 
We find something similar. Ata Omer, you say the following. The Apostle says, Oselacha Saraf, Basim Oto Alanes. Make a copper snake, sorry, make a snake, an image of a snake, and put it on a pole. And anyone who's been bitten and looks at the copper snake will live. What's this referring to? It's the story in Parshat Chukat, when the Bnei Israel, in their 40th year, they start moaning about the food, as they often did. It's incredible, this Jewish trait of moaning about food. It's very, very old. And Hashem sends snakes to bite them. And then as a refuah, as a remedy, Moshe is told to make an image of a snake and put it on a pole. And anyone who looks at the image will be healed. Says the Mishnah, Does this image of a snake cause death or does it cause life? How come? Is it some sort of magic? No. But when the Jews are looking upwards, they look at this image of a snake which is on a pole and it's up there. So similarly, by looking upwards, they would enslave their hearts to their Father in heaven. And then when they did that, they would be healed. And if not, they would waste away. Any idea why those two little bits of Midrash are put in the Mishnah in Masechet Sukkah? Rosh Hashanah. I said my second Rosh Hashanah. Well spotted. Yes, yes. Thank you. Yes. Okay, what is it refuting? You know the story. It's told in, the marshal is told in many different forms of the uh, country bumpkin who goes to the city and he sits in the uh, uh, rich man's house and the rich man rings a bell and all the servants come and bring the food. And the poor man says, this is great, can I have the bell? And the rich man says, yes. And he takes the bell home and he sits in his little uh, village house and he rings the bell and nothing happens. Or you can say the same with a fire alarm. When you blow the fire alarm, the fire engine comes. But if there's no fire engine, you can blow the alarm all you want and nothing will happen. So that's the story. You've probably heard it many, heard it many times. This is the basis for it. Because the chauffeur is not magic. People think, but if you hear the sound of the chauffeur, then instantly you'll be judged, for, you'll be sealed in the good book, or you'll be forgiven, and everything will be hunky-dory. No, the chauffeur is to encourage you to mishamtim libam la'avihem shabashamayim, to enslave your heart to Hashem. If the chauffeur makes you act in a certain way, then it will be effective. But without you acting, the chauffeur is like ringing the bell and nothing happens. Okay, then the Mishnah says, uh, on a completely different note, Cheresh Shota Vakatum. Cheresh is a person who's deaf. And remember, um, until relatively recently in human history, deaf people usually were not able to talk and were assumed to be mentally incompetent. Shoter is somebody who's mad, who's certainly mentally incompetent. A katan is a child. Any one of those people, Ein Motsim et Arabim they do not fulfill the obligation on behalf of others. In other words, if they're blowing the chauffeur and you're listening, your obligation is not fulfilled because they're not quite qualified. And this is the general rule. Somebody who's not obliged themselves to fulfill the mitzvah, either because of, the, well, because of what category the people are in, they turn out to be not people who are obliged to blow the chauffeur. They can't blow the chauffeur on behalf of someone else. 
So the Mishnah listed three cases. The Brisa is going to list many more. The Mishnah said if you're a Cheresh or a Shotar or a Katan, you're, the point is you're not actually obliged in the mitzvah of Shofar, and therefore you can't fulfill it on behalf of someone else. Tana Rabbanan, we learned in a Brisa, Hakol Chayevim B'Tekiyat Shofar. Everyone is obliged to blow the shofar. Well, when we say everyone, we actually restrict it. It means the following categories. Kohanim, Levim, V'Yisraelim. I'll tell you now, the Gemara is going to ask, why do we need to be told that? Isn't that obvious? Because they're like Jews. Geirim, converts. V'Avadim Meshuchrim, freed slaves who have the status of being Jewish. V'Tumtum. Now, Tumtum is somebody who is either male or female, but we don't know which because there's a membrane covering their genitals, and we can't tell. They may be, may, be, may be male, they may be female. Androgynous. Now, androgynous is different. Androgynous is a hermaphrodite. It's got both male and female characteristics. And, somebody who's half a slave and half a free person. How can you have that? It's a rather awkward situation to be in, as we discuss in other places in the Gemara. If two people jointly own a slave, and one of them gives the slave his freedom, but that person becomes half slave, half free. It's an interesting halachic category. So all these people um, are chayev in uh, Tkiat Shofar, but there's a bit of a qualification, and that comes now. Tumtum, that's the person who's either male or female, we don't know which. Eino motzi, loet mino, veloet she'eino mino. And Tumtum, if he blows, cannot fulfill the mitzvah on behalf of a tumtum like him, stroke her, or like somebody who's not a tumtum. That's, they don't fulfill the mitzvah for their own kind or for not their own kind. Androgynous motzi et mino. We'll explain all this in due course. Androgynous can fulfill the mitzvah for his own kind, avalo et mino, but not for somebody who is not an androgynous. Mishachatzio evet vachatzio ben chorin, somebody who's half free, half slave, eno motzi, lo et mino, velo et mino can't fulfill the obligation for either someone in the same situation as them or somebody not in the same situation as them. That's what the brighter says, and we're now going to analyze it a little bit more. Amamar, we learnt in the brighter. Uh, Amamar means we're quoting what we've already said, and we say, Everyone is obliged to blow the shofar, Kohanim, Levim, and Yisraelim. Let's start with that. But the Gemara says, Pshita, isn't that obvious? If they're not obliged, then who is? Because when you say, you've basically covered everybody. There might be some special cases yet to come, but you basically covered everybody. So of course they are chayev, because if they're not, well, whom have you got left? So why does it have to be mentioned? That's the question. And the answer is, it has to be mentioned because it said kohanim. Which means we're about to say why you might have thought Kohanim are excluded, and the Mishnah had to, st- the Brisa had to stress that they are included. So why might you have thought they were excluded? Salkadatcha Amina, you might have thought. How ilvakativ, since it writes Yom Teruah Yelachem, it will be a day, single day of blowing for you, and that would mean because it says single day. Somebody who doesn't have anything except a blowing on one day, they are obliged. 
But the Kohanim, Ho'il ve'idnahu betekiyat dechol shana. They have blowing all year round. Dichtiv, how do I know? Because it writes, Utekatem bechatzotzrot alalotechem. You blow on the trumpets on the burnt offerings. Ema lo lechayavu. Maybe you would say that they are not obliged. So again, the Pasuk says, you have one day of blowing, and you have a mitzvah to blow for one day. So you might have thought that that rules out Kohanim, because it only applies to those who only blow something on Rosh Hashanah. They're the ones who are obliged to blow it on Rosh Hashanah. But the Kohanim, they blow trumpets every day, because whenever there's an Ola, e.g. every morning and afternoon, there's a trumpet blown. So since they have trumpets every day, you might have thought they're not included in the mitzvah of blowing the shofar on one day of blowing. Kamash Malan, so the Brisa comes to teach you that they are included. And that's why we need to mention Kohanim, even though you might have thought it's obvious. Actually, it turns out not to be obvious. And since we mentioned Kohanim, we also mentioned Levium and Yisraelim. But then we say, Midami, is that really a reason to exclude the Kohanim? Might, might you have really thought that because they blow trumpets every day, they're excluded from the mitzvah of Shofar? Midami, are they the same? Hatam chatzotzrot shofar. There, on the daily blowing, it's trumpets. Here, on the Rosh Hashanah blowing, it's the Shofar. So I wouldn't have had a Havamina, which means I wouldn't have had a presumption that Kohanim are excluded, because I wouldn't have thought of the daily blowing of trumpets, because that's a different type of blowing altogether. So, let's try again. Ela itzdarech, but you need it for a different reason, a different reason why you might have thought Kohanim are excluded, which is why the, Gemara, uh, the Bryson needs to say Kohanim are included. So what's the different reason you might have thought that Kohanim are excluded? I might have thought, since we've learned in a Mishnah, Shava HaYovel LeRosh Hashanah. Yovel is the same as Rosh Hashanah, LeTakiya UleBrachot, for blowing the shofar and for making the brachot. As we've said before, that in the time of the Yovel year, that the shofar was blown on Yom Kippur, in the same way that we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, all the Tekiah, Shoram, Teruah, Tekiah, etc. And they added into the Amida the brachot of Malchiyot, Zichronot, and Shofarot that we add in on Rosh Hashanah. So the Mishnah says, Yovel and Rosh Hashanah are like the same. And you might think, therefore, man be mitzvah to Yovel, somebody to whom the mitzvot of Yovel apply, the mitzvot of Yovel like returning property that you've bought in the previous 50-year cycle, Ita be mitzvah to Rosh Hashanah. That such a person is also in the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah, i.e. blowing the shofar. You might have thought that that's what the comparison is. Uh, that's what the comparison comes to teach you. That since Yovel and Rosh Hashanah are the same, if you're obliged in the Yovel type mitzvot of returning property that you've brought, then you're obliged in the Rosh Hashanah mitzvah of blowing the shofar. For Hani Kohanim, but these Kohanim, how ill the late Nahuba mitzvah to Yovel, they are not included in the Yovel mitzvah. Did none, because we learned in a Mishnah, Kohanim velevim mochrim la'olam vegoalim la'olam. When a Kohen sells property, they sell it forever. It doesn't get redeemed in the Yovel year. And also, everybody else, non-Kohanim, if they sell property, they've got a year to redeem it, to buy it back, and then they've lost it. But Kohanim have always got the option of buying it back. 
and therefore they're not included in the Yovel Mitzvah. And therefore, Eima, I would say, the Mitzvah the Rosh Hashanah, Lo Lechayavu. They're not included, they're not obliged in the Mitzvah Rosh Hashanah because of this comparison between Rosh Hashanah and Yovel. Kamash Malan, it comes to teach us that they are included. That's why the Brysa listed Kohanim, because you might have thought they're not included, and that's a good Hava Amina. It's not refuted. It's a good presumption that you might have thought. And we mentioned Yisraelim and Yavim just for the right. The next thing the Brysa said was, Misha Chatzio Eved Vachatzio Ben Horin, Eino Motzi Lo Et Mino Velo Et Sheino Mino. Actually, it wasn't the next thing, it was the next thing we're learning about. Somebody who's half free, half slave can't blow the shofar for a similar person or for a person who's not the same. Okay, that's what the Mishnah said. Amor Rav Huna, Ula Atzmo Motzi. Rav Huna said he can blow for himself. Amale Rav Nachman le Rav Huna. Rav Nachman Rav Huna said, I don't understand. My shana la acherim de lo. So, sorry, Rav Huna says he can blow for himself, but he can't blow for anybody else. So why can't he blow for anybody else? Because the low ati tzad avdut umafik tzad cheirut. So I think we're talking about other people like him, but it would apply to normal people as well. But it would apply to either. If he blows, he's half slave, half free. There's a problem that his slave part would be blowing and trying to fulfill the obligation of the free people around, or the half-free people. And that won't work, because the slave part is not chayev, is not obliged in the mitzvah of shofar, it's only the free part. So we've already learned that somebody who's not obliged in the mitzvah of shofar can't fulfill the obligation of somebody else who is. And so if he is half-slave, we're worried that the slave part is what's doing the blowing, and that slave part is not obliged. So that's why he can't blow for anybody else. But says Rav Nachman, La atzmo nami lo atit sad avdut diday, umafik sad cheirut diday. For himself also, you've got exactly the same problem if he's just blowing for himself. Because which part of him is blowing and which part of him is listening? Hmm. You could say that the slave part of him is blowing and he can't therefore fulfill the free part of him. So Rav Nachman doesn't understand Rav Huna, who says that he can blow for himself but he can't blow for others. By the same token that he can't blow for others, he shouldn't be able to blow for himself. So therefore, Amr Ela Amr Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman says, Afla Atzmo Eino Motzi. Even for himself, he can't Motzi himself. So the solution, by the way, he'd have to listen to somebody else who's 100% free. And that position of Rav Nachman, Tanya Nami Hachi, we've learned it also in a brighter. And the brighter says, Somebody who is half Evet and half free, even for himself, he can't be Motsi. He can't blow the shofar for himself, like Rav Nachman said. Tani Ahava Bere de Rabbi Zeira. So a Tana who was called Ahava, son of Rabbi Zeira. What a great name to be called Ahava. And I don't recall him turning up in the Gemara anywhere else, but maybe he did. Anyway, what did he teach? He taught the following. Kol habrachot kulon afal motzi. Now, the reason we're talking about this, which is not to do with the shofar or Rosh Hashanah, because it's about being motzi other people. So can I make a bracha to motzi someone else? Well, at the moment we say yes. Even if I've already made the bracha myself, 
for myself. I can do it for somebody else. So for instance, the bracha of Tikiat Shofar. Even if I... That's, maybe that's not such a good example. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example um, without proceeding for what's coming next. Um, a bracha on a mitzvah. If I have already made the bracha on the mitzvah, and there's somebody else in my vicinity who hasn't made the bracha on doing the same mitzvah, I can say that bracha again on his behalf. Rashi says it's because of the principle of a revut, kol Yisrael revim which some Roshonim want to say, every Jew is responsible for one another. That means, and this isn't the only way of learning that Rashi, but basically it means that if somebody else hasn't fulfilled their mitzvah yet, it's as if I haven't fulfilled the mitzvah because I'm responsible for my fellow Jew. And if I haven't fulfilled my mitzvah because I'm responsible for my fellow Jew, so I can make a bracha because I haven't fulfilled my mitzvah. Even though I've done it for myself, this poor fellow hasn't had the mitzvah yet, so I've got that responsibility so I can make the bracha. So Rav uh, Ahava Bereid Rabbi Zeira says, Kol ha-bracha kolam. Afa motzi. Every bracha even if somebody's already fulfilled the obligation, they can fulfill the obligation again on somebody else's behalf. But however, when we said kol, we, there now comes a major restriction. Chutz mi birchat halechem u birchat chayayim. Except for the bracha of bread and wine. And says Rashi, v'shar bracha birchat peirat v'rechani. Other brachat on fruits or smells or in fact any type of food. Rashi says, I'm reading Rashi, uh, There's two reasons why we make a bracha. A bracha on a mitzvah, we have an obligation to make. And if my friend hasn't fulfilled his obligation, I can help him with it. A bracha on fruit or food or smells is a different reason. It's not an obligation to make a bracha on an apple. It's just we're not allowed to eat the apple without making the bracha. So a bracha on an apple is completely different to a bracha on a mitzvah. So brachot on food, which are summarized here in the Gemara as birchat alechem or birchat yayim, different. She'im lo yatsa motzi, ve'im yatsa eno motzi. If I haven't yet fulfilled my obligation, I've got an apple in front of me and my friend here has got an apple in front of him. I can make the bracha on my apple and that will count for his apple. But if I've already made the bracha on my apple, then I'm no longer in any state of chiyuv, of obligation to make a bracha on an apple, and he can't wait for me to do it a second time to say Bere Puri It doesn't work if I've already fulfilled my obligation to say Bere Puri That's the halacha. However, Boi Rava, Rava came along and asked a question. And we now turn over the page to the top of Kaf Tet Omad Bet. If you were just wondering, I'm planning to get to the end of the peruk, which is just a few lines to go. Rava asked the question, Birchat halechem shel matzah, u birchat hayayin shel kiddush hayom mahu. So there are two brachot that he mentions, and we can think of others, which are in a grey area. The bracha on eating matzah. And we don't mean, um, no, we do mean, says Rashi, shalachilat matzah. If you look at Rashi, top line. Shemavarachin lifnei hamotzi. Um, so when you say alachilat matzah, is that a bracha on a mitzvah, which I can fulfill on somebody else's behalf, even if I already said it? Or is it a bracha on the food, which in this case is matzah? Similarly, the birchata yayin shel kiddush, the bracha on the wine, 
that you that, that now here that is Brepriha eights uh, sorry Brepriha Gafen, but it's rolled into Kiddush. Kiddush is not a um, Kiddush itself is not just a blessing on the on the wine. It's a praise to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and it's a obligation to make that bracha. So again, does this fall into category one birchas on a brachas on a mitzvah? which I can make on somebody else's behalf, even if I've already done it myself? Or is it bracha on the food, which I can't make on somebody else's behalf if I've done it myself? So the question is expounded here in the middle of the second line. Kevon de chovahu mafik, since it's an obligation, like a bracha on a mitzvah, therefore I can fulfill somebody else's if I've already done it myself. Or dilma bracha lav chovahi. Maybe this bracha is not an obligation, but just the, the other type of bracha that you can't eat from the food, you can't eat the matzah, you can't eat, drink the wine without making a bracha. So, what's the answer? Toshma. Let's see if we can find an answer here. To Amar Rav Ashi, Rav Ashi says, Ki havinam be Rav Papi. When we were at the house of Rav Papi, have maktishlan, he would make kiddish for us. And when his sharecropper, his farm worker, would come midavra from the field, so he was a bit late. Then he would make a bracha for him, make Kiddush for him again. So we see clearly that Rav Papi would make Kiddush a second time. Even if he's already made Kiddush the first time for himself, he will make Kiddush for his sharecropper, which shows that the answer to Rav's question is that Kiddush one can make a second time, like a birchata mitzvah. Ton Rabbanon. So we've learnt in a related brisa. Lo yefros adam prusa la orchin, ele imkain ochel imahem. One can't make a, give a slice of bread to guests with the bracha of birchata motzi, as Rashi says, unless you're eating with them. In other words, I can't say motzi lechem in unless I'm eating some food as well. Aval pores to, but you can. Make the bracha without eating for one's children or one's household, kedela hancham b'mitzvot, in order to educate them in mitzvah. When one's dealing with children, one can, by way of teaching, say the bracha with shem Hashem, not for the sake of your eating, but for the sake of your educating children. Uh, and this Mishnah, this what it seems to imply, your own children and the children of your household. Interesting question whether it applies to somebody else's child but we'll leave that. Uba Halel, and you can do the same for Halel, Uba Megillah, and for Megillah, Afopisha Motzi. In the case of Halel and Megillah, we go back to, like Birchata Mitzvah, that even if you've already made the bracha, you can make the bracha again for somebody else to Motzi Yedei Chavotam, to fulfill their obligation. We will pause there. I wish everyone a Shabbat Shalom. And Hashem, we will meet again on Sunday night. And I presume it's me, because I think it's me every Sunday. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you.